So this is a bunch of cut stuff that you can't make a video out of, basically, because you can't see it. Similar, I guess, to like discussions we've had with Loki and stuff, where it's like, this is interesting, but there's no way to show it off. So we're just going to have to talk about it. I'll put some copyright-free pictures in the background. Of, of Bloodborne or of just like anything? No, no, just like random stuff that I get on Pixabay. Like a cat. Some Easter eggs. Yeah, flowers. Yeah. Um, Kitten and a pumpkin. Yeah, yeah, maybe balloons. Yeah. Snacks. Yeah. Have you thought about looking into the the royalty-free pictures of shirtless buff guys that they use on the front of all those books I've been buying? Have I? You tell me. I don't know. I'm asking you. <laughs> no, no, I haven't. I think if you start using those in thumbnails, we'll get more views. Okay, I okay. could put a, a buff guy into this podcast. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. Good. <laughs> so, cut content. Cut content. <laughs> um, okay, so do you want to start? I think we'll start with interesting stuff because everyone usually tunes out about halfway. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So we'll front load the good stuff. Um, mm -hmm. We should talk about the beast transformation mechanic that everyone thought existed in Bloodborne and then decided didn't and then decided did and then it was a rune in the DLC. Mm -hmm. So before Bloodborne came out, people thought, oh, it's going to be like in the Souls games where you've got human and hollow. In this, you'll have like human and beast and you'll transform throughout the game. And, um, like, the early screens we got of Bloodborne, they had a meter filling up that was called Therianthropy, which later became the Beasthood meter. So we knew that there was this Beasthood thing and everyone was talking about, oh, there's going to be, like, Beast Transformation will be in the game. The game then came out, and there was no Beast Transformation. Oh, no. Which led to, like, oh, well... There clearly was no beast transformation. And then they added in the DLC the rune that gave you beast transformation. But weirdly, there was still the beasthood meter and all the like armor sets had beasthood stats and there were beasthood runes and stuff. So okay. do you know much about how beasthood works in the game that we have now? Tell me about it. Okay. Beasthood is a temporary buff that you apply using either Beast Blood Pellets or the Beast Claw Weapon. And what it does is 
it fills up as you do damage to other things. It's kind of like how in Dark Souls 3 there are weapon arts and, like, um, items and things that trigger, like, as you're doing damage. So basically, when when you start Beasthood, the meter fills up a little bit, and then as you hit stuff, the meter keeps filling up. If you stop hitting stuff, the meter goes down. What it does is, the higher the meter is, the more damage you do, but also the more damage you take. So, like, as it's filling up, you're you're doing more and more and more damage, but you're also taking more damage in return. So it's kind of like, you're, you're, it's like a trade-off. It's like you become a glass cannon if you fill up the Beasthood meter. But maxing out the Beasthood meter does nothing. Like, it just fills up. And then it just means it lasts for longer when you stop hitting stuff. So, in the data mind, like, on-screen prompts that we have, underneath, like, Frenzy, Poison, Rapid Poison, etc., there's an unused prompt that says Transformed. And, like, I have to be clear, this is, like, it's with those things. It's not, a, it's not like a note from the programmers. It's not something that's related to transforming weapons. It's, like, just an unused thing underneath Slow Poison, Rapid Poison, and Frenzy is transformed. And we know from, like, other data mine stuff that we've seen in the earlier versions of the game, the sedatives... They don't just cure Frenzy, they also cure Beasthood. And along with that, there's also a um, there's an unused item called Beast Blood, not Beast Blood Pellet, that if you use it, it lowers your Beasthood resistance. So, in the final game, all you can do is, is use either Beast Blood or the Beast Claw to start the Beasthood meter off. But here it looks like um, you have the ability to, like, manage Beasthood, and there'd be situations where you'd want Beasthood to go down. There's not really a reason in the final game that you would ever want Beasthood to go down. Like, obviously, you are taking more damage when you've got Beasthood on, but you have to intentionally trigger Beasthood to begin with. So, like, there really aren't... It, it would be stupid for there to be an item that sole purpose was removing a buff, because the buff has a very slight drawback. So, putting all these things together, it looks like in some early version, if the Beasthood bar filled all the way up, you would get that on-screen transformed message. But we also know that, like, unless something really, really, like, was absolutely scrubbed, and we just never found it. There's not, like, a beast version of your character that you could control. So, what it looks like to me is that Beasthood probably worked similarly to how it does now, where it was a temporary buff. But I think the deal was, like, this is all just me speculating, but this kind of lines up with everything I've seen is that if that meter filled all the way up, you would get that transformed prompt. And I think that was probably an instant death thing. Because you can't play as a beast. But it looks like you could fill it up and transform. So I'm, I'm assuming that it was kind of like, um, like Curse in, in Dark Souls, where it's like a non-standard game over. Where like, 
you can be fine health-wise, but if this bar fills up, you just instantly die. So I'm guessing that was the deal with Beasthood early on, that, like, you would have been able to to transform, but it killed you. But also because it gave you a buff, there were, like, means of managing how Beasthood worked. Because there's all of these Beasthood items that, like, raise it and lower it, and you've got, like, the Beasthood transformation message propping up, and, yeah, it, it just looks like that's how it functioned. Okay, thank okay. you, Richie. And I guess, like, the Gascoin fight would have been, uh, like, a preview of that, that, like, as Gascoin is taking damage and fighting you, he then snaps. So I'm guessing, like, your your character could kind of do that. Like, you could get this spurt of, like, power, but the price was, like, this bar would start filling up, and if you didn't manage it, you would... You would um, it actually reminds me a bit of a mechanic that's in Miyazaki's Armored Core games, where you can, like, you have an energy bar that, like, you use it for a whole lot of things, but it's possible to, like, intentionally overload it and then vent it. And it does a ton of damage, but also it's really risky to do, because you can, like, overheat. So I, it, it seems like that's a more, like, fully featured and, like, thematically interesting version of that mechanic than just, like, Beasthood is a buff. Mm-hmm. Mm. So that's the most interesting thing. Yay! You can, t- you can turn off now. Um, there's other stuff, though. <laughs> okay, bye, everyone. Bye, everyone. <laughs> Thanks for coming. Okay. <laughs> so, the... Um, what else is there? And if people want to have a quick review of what you just said, where can they find it? I posted most of this stuff on Twitter. So if you go Excellent. to my Twitter and you just, like, uh, search for, I don't know, Beasthood or, like, data mining or something, you'll find most. Because I've been, like, basically live blogging stuff as I go through it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Excellent. Okay. Thank you, Richie. So now I want to talk about two unused summon characters. Mm-hmm. Who are they? Well, they're both characters that we know, but um, basically in the list oh. of NPCs. Yes. Richie? Yeah. Is it Ludwig and Maria? Sadly, no. This uh, L- Ludwig is connected to it. Oh, okay. did I predict content again? I'm predicting content live. Are you impressed? It's very good. Thank you. Okay. So, these are two characters that we already know. Um, The way that the game handles summons is that, like, if every time you summon a character, even if it looks like... Like, when you summon Alfred in Old Yarnum and, like, summon Alfred in Central Yarnum, like, those aren't the same Alfred. They just make, like, a copy of Alfred for every area. It's like, like every, every Alfred that you meet is actually a completely different NPC. Basically. Do you understand what I mean? Like, there's, like, one out. Al- it's, like, Alfred in... Like, you meet Alfred in the little church on the way to Old Yarnum. Right. That's one version of Alfred. When you summon Alfred in Old Yarnum, that's just a completely separate character. Like, they just remove the one near the church, and then they activate that one. Then when you meet Alfred by the Grand Cathedral, that's just, like, they just delete that Alfred, add another Alfred. 
Okay. <laughs> yeah. So what what I'm getting at is like there's like four, if an NP- every time an NPC changes areas, it's actually like a different NPC. So there's like a whole lot of different versions of like Alfred and Eileen just for every event that happens in the game. Okay. And some of those are tagged. Um, it's it's like a word that means like um, united cooperation or something, which means they're a summon. So like the Eileen that fights you with Henrik and the Alfred that you summon uh, as a as a cooperator, like they have they have this little tag next to them. There is an unused version of Dura that has that tag. Oh snap! Yeah, so it looks like you would have been able to summon Dura. Like, like at not, um, not like, I don't mean you can befriend Dura. I mean, like, you would have been able to ring the bell and summon Dura to help you. Oh, that would have been cool. Yeah, and he's located in, um, it looks like he's in Old Yarnum. I don't know, though. And I'm thinking, like, I'm just speculating, but I think the idea is, like, if you befriended Dura, he would be a friendly summon at some point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. That would make sense. Yeah. Um, because, like, befriending Dura kind of, it doesn't really progress anything. You just don't get shot. <laughs> yeah, so that's, um, yeah, would have been a, a Dura summon at some point. Yeah. Um, the other summon is a guy who we can already summon, um, which is old Hunter Yamamura. Nice. Yeah, but he is summonable for Ludwig. There's, like, an unused version you can call for Lud. Now, this seems like, okay, whatever, Yamamura is in the DLC. The problem with that is that in order to summon Yamamura, you have to have killed him in the jail cell. But the jail cell is after Ludwig. So it's physically impossible yeah, to have killed Yamamura in the cell before you fight Ludwig. So that's, like, it's only notable in the sense that, like, it shows that there was initially another way to get to Ludwig. And I'm starting to think that, like, obviously we know it was two DLCs and they kind of, like, um, mashed them together. But I'm thinking, like, the um, it's possible that you actually get to Ludwig now backwards from the way you would originally have gotten to him. Like, I think originally you would have gone down the jail and Ludwig would have been at the bottom of the jail instead of you starting where Ludwig is and climbing up through the jail. Yeah. Yeah, because we know now that um, Hemwick and the Nightmare Frontier are both backwards. So, like, backwards areas are a thing in Bloodborne. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, that's it for unused summons. There is another unused NPC who is just called... Um, what is he called? He's just called, like... Uh, NPC of Old Castle Bloodline, meaning he's from Kanehurst. Uh, he's located in Kanehurst. We don't know anything about him. He's just like a string of numbers. But there is an unused name for a character called uh, Drifting Vile Blood Leo. Right. And there's also an unused face that's like in the face data that looks like he's like a vampire guy he's very very pale skin with like big dark eyes um he kind of looks like christopher walken so if you like combined that together i'm pretty sure that like that npc that name and that face are the same guy so that would have been vile blood leo 
Yeah. Um, um, there's also two versions of the Vile Blood Queen in there. The there's the version we didn't get, which I think is the version that Lance has like got that dialogue from, who is called Fallen Blood Queen, and then the character who is Annalise is called Blood Princess. So it looks like they had two kind of like there would have been maybe a queen and a princess of Kanehurst at one point. And maybe, like, the slug princess was involved in this. We don't know. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, and anyway, there's a... The most interesting thing about that is that there's a fourth Kanehurst NPC who is just called NPC for Castle Archives. So the Castle Archives, I'm pretty sure, is the, the library. Because I don't know where else, unless like the problem is that about a third of Kanehurst was deleted, so it's possible there was like an archive somewhere. But um, NPC for Castle Archives. So if you think about the way that Kanehurst's library is structured, the top floor has no enemies on it, and there's no way for enemies to get in or out. So it would have been a safe place to put an NPC, because there would have been nothing to hurt them, and there's no way that like you could, like, get in... It's a safe place to put an NPC, basically. It's like a like an enemy-free zone. Um, you'll remember that when there was the big Bloodborne data, like, dump at the end of 2017, one of the first things that got dug up, that was by Sanitas K, was a, um, like, a healing church priest that we thought was Norbert. Norbert or Herbert. He's, like, the, the really short, like, squat guy with the beard. And he's he's holding a, the two important things here is he's holding a book, and he's got a cloak on over his clothes, like he's like a like a like a fur like cloak over it with a hood. If you put those two things together, it's like okay, he's got a book, which makes sense if he's in a library somewhere. But more importantly, he's got the cloak on. So if he's like. He must be outside the healing church if he's wearing a cloak because he's wearing it to travel. There's no other reason for him to be wearing it. And the only place in Yarnum that is like cold and snowy is Kanehurst. Right. Right. And also the look of that character, like a lot of Bloodborne aesthetically is copied from the 92 Dracula, the Coppola one. I'm pretty sure the look of him is meant to be reminiscent of Anthony Hopkins from that movie where he plays Van Helsing. And in that movie, when Van Helsing goes to Castle Dracula, he wears a very similar cloak. So I think, like, all signs point to Castle Archives NPC being that guy because he's, like, a guy from the Healing Church. Because he's He's just called NPC for Castle Archives. Everything else to do with Kanehurst, if they're from Kanehurst, they have that in the name. They're called, like, Bloodline Queen or something. He's just called NPC. So I think the idea is, like, he is a guy from the Healing Church who would have gone to Kanehurst. And that's why he's wearing the big cloak, and that's why he's got the book, because he's, like, researching stuff in the Kanehurst library. Because otherwise, the whole top of that library kind of has no reason to exist. Like, it's just a big empty space with some blood gems. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Cool. I want to ask you something. Yes. Um. Okay, you know this picture of Queen Annalise, the one... Um, there's a picture in the arts book, the official yeah, arts book. Yeah, Then there are some pictures on the walls of Kynehurst. And yeah. one of the pictures is a lady with her hair up with a, like, a medallion yeah. who looks, like, ethereal. Yeah. Is this Queen Annalise, would you say? Um, I think it's, it's possible. Like, Annalise does have a face. Yeah. The problem is that she just, there's like a generic face that it just uses for characters whose faces aren't supposed to be shown. So, like, you can, like, you can't clip inside her helmet and see her face because that helmet just replaces your head. But, um, she does have a face in the data and it's just like, it's like a sort of middle-aged bald woman. (laughs) She has no hair. It's the same face that Eileen uses. Where it's just like, I think it's just everything is in the middle and there's no hair. Because there's no need for it to have hair because you're not supposed to see it. So, like, she does have okay. a face, but it's, it's like, not ever supposed to be shown. Okay. And, and I, let me I, ask you yeah, some... Yeah, sure. go ahead. Yeah, go no, ahead. you go ahead. And so there's another picture of, um, like, a queen holding a baby. Is yeah. it the same person? I don't know, but I'm pretty sure the, the kid is Ariana. Okay, because yeah. when you said, like, there was a queen and a princess, I yeah, kind of thought yeah. maybe the woman holding the baby is a queen, and maybe that's the little princess, and maybe the other lady that may resemble Annalise closely in the artwork book or yeah. whatever is the princess. Yeah, they, they went through so many different, like, there's all these different kings as well that we don't ever see. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah, and we talked about it in yeah. the uh, Executioner's podcast, I think. Yeah, yeah. Like, I'm pretty sure what what they're getting at is just Kanehurst is very old. And mm-hmm. the older Kanehurst people, they look like Queen Yana. And then over time, they gradually, like, every generation looks a little bit more human. Until you end up with Ariana. Cool. And, like, I am pretty sure that the baby in that portrait is Ariana. What makes you so sure? Because Ariana's from, like, she's got the Kanehurst dress, and it talks like she's from the Kanehurst bloodline. And, like... Yeah. I know that, Rich. Yeah. But what makes you so sure that this specific baby is Ariana? Because it's got blonde hair, and it's wearing red. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. Here we go. Yeah. It's got, it's got blonde hair, and it wears red. Okay. Yeah. Detective Batman, yeah. greatest detective. Thank so you. every woman that you meet that has blonde hair and wears red as a baby in a picture is Ariana as an adult? Well, the thing is that this is a work of fiction, and we don't see any other babies with blonde hair wearing red. At some point in my life, I had blonde okay. hair. I also have red yeah. outfits in my closet. Yeah. Am I Ariana? Well, yeah, but you're real. And you're real good in testing me, Richie. Can we insert, like, a trombone noise there? (laughs) And, you know, for once I was feeling like the podcast was going like, oh, you know, people are going to enjoy this because it's just like Mm. you talking and I'm listening. It's very educational. But, no, you had to go out and test me. Okay. As per usual. Okay, well, now that we're halfway through, 
the hopefully, rest- hopefully, all the people that come here for the first time tuned out at about 10 minutes. Yeah. And I will not be judged by new people, thanks to you, Richie. It's all right. Because you don't even read the comments. No, I don't. I'm the one that has to deal with, oh, he does not contribute anything to the conversation. Oh, Shane bullies Richie. People like it when you bully me. They gave you money yesterday. Oh, that's true. That's a good point. Cinder donated $5 for me to insult you from my... Insult generator. Because you have to, you have to like make a distinction where it's like, yeah, people leave comments saying don't bully Richard, but they're not paying you. The people who pay you are telling you to bully me. Next time somebody's like, oh, you so mean, you add nothing. You bully Richard, you need to stop. You know what? I'll be like, yeah, if you want me to stop bullying Richard and contribute something to the conversation, why don't you pay me? That's what I'll say. You want to add like a bison silenced here? Yes, yes, yes. How much is my silence worth? Well, the problem is if that happened, then the people who like you bullying me would start removing their pledges. So to go back down well, again. Well, that's why we gotta, let's see, we gotta make it worth it. Okay. Okay. This is live. This is history making itself live. Okay, I'm going on Patreon. I'm going on Goals. Add a goal. I have to go in 23 minutes. $20,000. Sin will not bully Richie and will contribute to the conversation. Excellent. Problem solved. All right. Okay, Richie. So you have to go in 20 minutes. So what else would you like? 23 minutes. Well, 22 now. Well, you should have just thought it and said yes, and we wouldn't have wasted a minute. So, Richie, what else would you like to tell us about cut content? (laughs) Okay, this is just going to be like the lightning round, where we just go down everything else that was removed area by area. Okay. Okay. Um, Yosefka's Clinic, you know how there's a Scourge Beast in there that you fight at the very start of the game? And it's the way that they make it an easy fight is they reduce its health to, like, a tiny amount. There's an unused, like, unique Scourge Beast for the clinic that just has, like, really shitty stats. So it looks like that would have been what you fought initially. Instead of, like, a regular Scourge Beast with low hit points, it would have just been a very weak Scourge Beast, and there would have only been one. Okay, next. Okay, okay. Um, If you've been paying attention to what Lance has been doing, he found there was um, a garden of eyes, the, like, fly people from Bergenworth, that wandered around the clinic after a certain point in the game. And that is in there, and that has a, a different, like, item ID for the thing that it drops, which is, like, it's not the same ID as the ones in Bergenworth. So it would have dropped something, like, specific, but we haven't quite figured out what the drop ID would have been. But yeah, like, that would have like been a unique thing that dropped something that you didn't get from the regular Gardens of Ice. It's also possible that, like, the guard, there was only meant, ever meant to be one of these things, and it's, like, just a unique thing for the clinic, and then they made it a Bergenworth enemy. Um, further you go into Central Yarnum, there are Thumerians for Central Yarnum, and, like, pretty much all the Yarnum areas have Thumerians, like, listed as enemies in them. 
So I think, like, there's an NPC who's removed, but he talks about how, like, when the chalices were taken, the Thumerians came out of the labyrinth to get the chalices back. So I think, like, it looks like at some point maybe the, like, Thumerians would have appeared in Yarnum, like, maybe after the Mensis ritual, like, as if they're trying to get the chalices back. Um, and, like, the... There's a, an enemy in the Chalice Dungeons that people have probably seen. And it's like a very, very tall, thin Thumerian who doesn't attack you. But is like glowing and has a staff, and they just sort of like wander around, and they're non-hostile. There's a bunch of those listed in Central Yarnum, and they're called the Ghost of Moonlight. That's all we know about them. Um. There's almost nothing cut from Cathedral Ward that seems to be basically the same. Um, with the exception of there are the um, the lore and cleric enemies from the Chalice Dungeons. They're like little hunched uh, beast characters that shoot fireballs at you. They're also like in most of the healing church areas, there are those. And I think the initial idea behind them was that they were like healing church clerics who transformed. Rather than like because it looks like Lauren was like a last minute thing. Like they hadn't planned on this whole Lauren story. So it looks like early on, they were just like beast clerics, like lower, lower members of the healing church than the vicars who transformed like basically tiny little cleric beasts. Um, so when you get to old Yarnum, there are, there's a version of Paul there and he's just called storm beast. And this is going to be important later on. So just keep in mind that Paul's there and he's called Storm Beast. Um, the the Dura Summon we already talked about. In Hemwick, the, um, I guess a lot of people probably know this, but it's still sort of like, it's semi-obscure and people don't see it. If you go to Hemwick after the moon has risen, I mean, by which I mean like after Amelia, and you have above, I think it's 10 inside, it might be 15. These, like, the, you know, when you're fighting the Witch of Hemwick and she summons those very tall, like, ghost women with the sickles, they will spawn throughout Hemwick. Like, they'll just appear out of the ground, even if the witch isn't there. So, those are in Hemwick, but they're also everywhere else. Like, every area of the game has data for, like, those ghost things rising out of the ground. So, it looks like they would have been, like, that effect applied everywhere. So if you have above a certain threshold of insight, you just risk those things appearing. The other thing about Hemwick is that the witch's name is, um, she's just called Eye Collector, which is the enemy. She's called Eye Collector brackets, brackets as a boss. So like, we know that, um, the early version of Bloodborne, you started in Hemwick. So she probably wasn't, like, the boss of Hemwick at that point. So it looks like when they shuffled the areas around and they made Hemwick, like, a separate place that you could go or not go, they came up with the Witch of Hemwick boss by just getting that that enemy and then, like, giving her more health and making her a boss. Which I guess explains why, like, people say, oh, the... the um. The Witch of Hemwick boss feels sort of, like, not that great. It's just, like, 
long and boring and relies on an invisibility gimmick. This is probably why. Like, they probably just made her out of existing assets that weren't meant to be a boss. And again, like, we've seen in the trailers, Vicar Amelia is in that room. So it's possible that, like, Vicar Amelia was, like, was always supposed to be in that room at some point, and then they moved her. Um, after they moved her to the cathedral, replacing the cleric beast, like, there was nothing in her room. So they made that room the the Witch of Hemwick's room. Um, on to Forbidden Woods. Um, Lauren Clerics in Forbidden Woods as well. They really like Lauren Clerics. They are just everywhere. Uh, you know the drowned, the, the corpses that, like, crawl around in the rivers? Those are in, um, they're in Central Yarn and they're also in Forbidden Woods. And weirdly, like, the, the variants of them, they all have, like, a special name. So there's, like, Drowned Corpse Beast, Drowned Corpse City, Drowned Corpse Young, Drowned Corpse Church, etc. And I don't quite know what the deal is. Like, I don't know if if um, they were meant to be, like, different-looking variants, or it... I don't know. But yeah, there's a bunch of unused variants that I don't think... They don't appear to be, like, significantly different. They just have different names. Um, the Thumerians with the pickaxes in the dungeons that are always digging, there's a ton of them in Forbidden Woods. And so I guess the idea is, like, they were excavating the chalices. So you'd see, like, Thumerians just, like, walking out of the dungeons or, like, expanding the dungeons. Um, one thing that helps clear a lot up is that, you know, in Forbidden Woods, there's, like, a a bunch of celestials just like in a, in a, um, like little dead end somewhere. Yeah. 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 They are there, but they're tagged, um, like celestial enemy. And then in brackets for connecting pathway to city B city B is what central Yarnum is called. So it looks like, so, and also like connecting pathway to city B is the name for the cavern under Yosefka's clinic. So those Celestials were designed to be under Yosefka's clinic, and that's, like, that's why they're there. They're, like, Yosefka's Celestials that she's dumped. But they ended up... Yeah, that would make more sense. Yeah, that makes a lot more sense. Yeah. And they just moved them somewhere else, so it doesn't really make a great deal of sense anymore. But there they are. (laughs) Um, Also, the, the Madaris twins are called Executioner. Which explains, I guess, why they dress like Meralda from Demon Souls. Right. Right. Another, the oddest thing I found actually is that the fireflies above the swamp, I just assumed were uh, like a particle effect, but they're actually NPCs. Like tiny little glowing NPCs that just follow this like AI thing where they move around the swamp. Uh, okay. Uh, Bergenworth. Um, Bergenworth. We've established, like, Bergenworth used to be gigantic, and they gradually cut parts of it off. Yeah. There are tons and tons and tons. Yep. What's Bergenworth? I know not such location. Dignity City. Right. (laughs) There are tons and tons and tons of Thumerians there. Like, like all the, like, the chalice ones, like the warriors with the giant two-handed swords. There's a bunch of them there. There's also, um... Like Yarnum Huntsmen and like their their dogs and the crows and everything are like all over Bergenworth, like the old Bergenworth. 
Um, the Celestial Emissaries are there as well. So, again, this is from, like, the very early Bergenworth that was massive. And um, the... But when I say Yarnum Huntsmen, I mean, like, presumably it's just the ones from Forbidden Woods that aren't supposed to be from Yarnum, but reuse the same models. So, where it gets interesting is that the Slime Scholars and everything are there, but they're called, like, Four Nightmare Classroom. So, like, we've known for a while that the lecture hall is just part of Bergenworth. Like, it's actually on the same map, it's just invisible. And we have early maps of Bergenworth that show that the lecture hall is there. But it looks like, and we just assumed, okay, some point very late on, they just had to say it was part of the nightmare. So I don't know if um, they added that, like, nightmare classroom identifier much later on, or if they possibly always did intend for the lecture hall to be in the nightmare and it was like a workshop dream situation where like you would, they would be the real place and also the nightmare version and they'd be separate. So, uh, Kanehurst, we have covered like the Kanehurst NPCs. There are attack dogs in Kanehurst. They're the ones from, from Hemwick that have the spikes on them. There's also the eye collectors in Kanehurst, like the Witch of Hemwick things. Um, another thing about Kanehurst, this is like not a, an NPC or enemy thing, but the doll repair kit item that um, Santa dug up, that we now know was found on a corpse in Kanehurst. So, like early on, the assumption was that the doll would be broken when you started the game. And then when you got the repair kit, you'd repair her and then she would talk to you and level you up and stuff. But the repair kit we now know was in Kanehurst. And Kanehurst is a, a place that you find very late in the game. So it it must have been used on some like for something else. It can't have been for the beginning of the game. And it was probably used, I think, on the doll in the workshop because she's always broken. So they, it looks like the purpose of the doll repair kit was to do something to the doll in the workshop. Probably, like, going back to the whole original idea where, like, the, the doll was based on the Vile Blood Queen and, like, that was her kid that was killed to get the cord and everything. Right. Um, Upper Cathedral Ward is also full of lore and clerics. Um, there's a variant of the Brain Sucker there that's called Throwing. And it's it's not the paralysis attack they do. It's like some kind of ranged thing, but it's not clear what it actually is. Um, that's pretty much it for Upper Cathedral Ward. It's not that much was changed. Um, so, Yahagul. The corpse puppets that Mikolash uses in his boss fight are in Yahagul. I guess, like, resurrect... I guess, like, they just resurrected corpses. There's also... Um, there's a church giant with a cannon in Yahagul, who I guess would have, like, been up somewhere and shot at you as you were trying to run up the street. Um... 
the uh the eye collectors are there, but they're called they're called Jailer Hag. And the um you know when the the bell ringing women summon the Yarnamite like blood ghost people. There are versions of them, but they have poison attacks instead of um their regular attack. So they would have poisoned you as they hit you. So when I said like remember that Paul is called Storm Beast. Paul is still here, but he's called Storm Beast Bracket Skeleton. So it looks like because the Yahagul ritual was resurrecting all these dead things, it looks like maybe the idea was that Paul would be you would kill Paul in old Yana. And then the Yahagul ritual would bring him back to life and you'd fight the skeleton. Oh, and that's that, cool. that might be why, like, he's just undead and there's no real explanation. It's just, like, the undead dark beast. But, it, it yeah, it looks like he would actually have been, like, the, the story was he was dead. And then the Mensis ritual brought him back to life. Is there any relation to the Shrine of the Storm? What, from Demon Souls? Yeah, or to the Storm Ruler from Dark Souls? And Demon Souls. <laughs> yes. There's references to like Storm Beast a lot in the um in the the cut stuff. Okay, Rich, wait. I <laughs> of course there's a connection of Bloodborne. Yeah, was yeah, Demon- Bloodborne was Demon Souls two at one point. Yeah, yeah. I can go into Storm a little bit because like I guess we'll like take a detour to discuss chalices. Um, initially, like the idea, and I we've touched on this before, is that the chalice dungeons. When they started out, it wasn't like you warp somewhere. They were just underneath Yarnum. Which raised the question that like we brought up when we talked about Lauren, which is like, well, all right, you're going underground, but you end up in Lauren, which is apparently a completely different place. And you can end up in East, which is also apparently a completely different place. From what I have like gathered from like removed stuff, um, Lauren and Ace were originally like they were like effects you would apply to a dungeon, and they're called Storm and Cosmic. Like there's there's the dungeons, there's like fetid, rotted, cursed, and then there also would have been Spider, Storm, and Cosmic. So you would have like used a chalice, added Storm or Cosmic effect to the chalice, and then you would have still gone underneath Yarnum, but it would have looked like Lauren or Ace with like either the lightning or the cosmic effect. So the storm stuff, like the storm beasts and everything are connected to that storm like chalice effect. Rather than connected to a place called Lauren. Um Okay, going to Nightmare Frontier, here's where things get odd. Um odder. So the Nightmare Frontier has a name that people are saying it's called Hometown. Um, it's more like it's called like the place of origin or like the the historic place, which like kind of means hometown. It's like this is my hometown. You mean like that's the place I come from? That's like where my origins are. But the name is like the place of origin. Um, the ghosts of moonlight are here, and they have two variants called moonlight and no moonlight, and I don't know what the deal is. But, like, it looks like they would have been, like, Thumerians in that place. 
and the um you know the the burned warriors senator's k made some videos on them they're like they're like um yeah they're they're there as well and there's also there's references to like burned corpses and burned things so it's almost like the Nightmare Frontier would have been, like, somewhere where, almost like the fishing hamlet, where, like, it had been defiled and all these people had been burned, and then, like, the burned corpses would rise again. Uh-huh. Something like that. Interesting. Yeah. So then we get to Mensis. So if you've been following Lance's stuff, he'll say that the name for Mensis is Trap Road. And that is the name for it. It's written phonetically. It's just, like, Torap or Road. And we had no idea what that meant. We, for a while, thought it was, like, it was meant to be called Trapped Lord. And it was referring to Murgo or Mikolash, because, like, Lord and Road are kind of, like, similarly written if you write them phonetically. But, um, no, Trap Road is, like, a Japanese idiom that means, like, obstacle course. So, like, there are, it turns out, like, there's levels in Mario that the Japanese version is called Trap Road. And I, I even found, like, a website that called Sense Fortress Trap Road. So, it just means, like, this is an obstacle course. So, that's all it means. It's just, like, this is an area where you'll get, there's, like, a lot of shit to dodge. Um, when you get there, the, the Murgo attendants are called Jailers. Like the the Thumeri, the big silver Thumerians. It's referring to them as jailers, and like that, I think means like not like the, there's those cages hanging everywhere that they would actually have been like prison cells, similar to Latria, where it's like people are being held in these cages instead of them just being like here's a bird cage full of books for no reason. So I'm I'm wondering if like the idea was that the Mensis people had come here and then they'd all been captured and held in those cages, except for Mikolash. Um should also probably point out that like Mikolash himself, the very, very early versions of him, he would have been encountered like early on as as like a sane version of himself you would have been able to talk to him and he would have been like, he's quite some, he's almost timid. And then what would happen is like toward the end of the game, he would go insane and then he would like project himself to Mensis and you would chase him there. So that's like, that's why when he sees you, he's like, Oh, a hunter because he's like, he actually, he's kind of recognizing you because like, oh, you're the hunter I kept seeing and you followed me to the dream. Well, you can't stop me. That's, like, what he's doing. Um, and, like, he... Um, there's references to, like, in in Hemwick there is a wandering madman. And we're pretty sure that that's Mikolash. So, like, Mikolash... Mikolash would have been completely, um, like... Quote-unquote friendly NPC. And then at some point he would relocate to Hemwick and go mad. And then you would have walked to the Nightmare... To, um either the frontier or to Mensis directly and like encountered him there. And like, I'm not sure how that squares with Yahagul because um, I don't know what the deal with Yahagul was, if his corpse was always going to be there or if like, maybe like you, you finished Yahagul and then like 
that's what triggered Mikolaj to disappear and relocate to Hamwick. I don't know. Um, there's an unused shadow of Yarnum who has a gun, who we never encounter for Mensis. And the, um, we've sort of, we've talked a bit about the, the wet nurse being a mess, but like the wet nurse was originally like a boss for the mid game. And she seems kind of important because she's called like demon of death and darkness. And then the shadows of Yarnum and the spiders, the spider people with the, the humans, the, the spiders with the human heads are listed as like, these are like her servants. But we're not exactly sure how that all played out. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. And uh, finally, Snuffles the pig, who we all know and love. <laughs> yes, yes. He was for Forbidden Woods. Oh, snap. Yep. So is that all for now? That's pretty much all that we have for now, yeah. I'm sure that, like, um, Lance will probably do a video on, like, Nicole Ash at some point, because he's able to restore that. Awesome. I'm sure Bean will be very happy about it. Yeah. I actually already messaged her. Oh, you did? Yeah. For those who don't know, Bean is an amazing artist, and we'll link her stuff in the description. Yeah. She's a Mikolash cosplayer. Yeah, she's the number one Mikolash fan. <laughs> number one Mikolash fan girl. Yeah. <laughs> um. Oh, and I have really good news. As we were recording this podcast, my boyfriend finally beat the final boss of Sekiro. Wow. Yeah. So congrats oh, to him. Actually, hang on, hang on. Because um, there's a cosplayer who I am mutuals with on Twitter. And she's um, she's only got like 70-something followers, so I'll give her a boost. She okay. Up- okay. Yes. She uploaded... A video called "How to Be Completely Incompetent and Still Beat the Final Boss of Sekiro." Hello. So I'll I'll just paste that in here, and, and you, I guess you you can link that in the description. Yeah. Slash comments. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Super. Does she have a Twitter? Uh yeah, it's um. I have to be careful with the spelling because she's removed vowels. It's um it's unlimited babe works as one word, but she's removed the um the vowels except the U in unlimited, so it's like U N L M T D and then Babe Works as like all one word. And <gasps> Founder! Okay, so yeah. I'll link her uh, Twitter okay. on my Twitter and stuff this, too. This is how to beat Ishin Ashina if you are incompetent. <laughs> That's excellent. It is. That is that is what I'll have to do once, uh, if I ever <laughs> reach Ishin. If you ever get on my level. Ooh. I haven't been in Shinashina. I've been playing Kingdom Hearts. I'm still a shirtless lightning boyfriend. A lot of people just want to stay there, to be honest. They don't ever want to get past Genichiro. You know what? That's going to be my excuse. A lot of people I know, like, beat the game and then said, like, I just want to go back and fight Genichiro again. <laughs> Okay, well, thank you so much, Richie. 
And thank you to uh, Lance and to Santa for um, digging up all that stuff and sending me gigantic Excel files of incomprehensible data that I spent a while sifting through. Yeah. You know, I notice, Richie, you think a lot of people, but do you ever think me? I think that's implied. Do you know how much editing I have to do on these podcasts? What, you think you just come out sounding coherent? See, I think, like, oh, you must do a lot of editing, and then I, like, look at them, and they're, like, slightly shorter than what we recorded, and you leave in digressions about Tim Allen. That's a, oh my god, that was, that's different. Everything is calculated, and all my edits have a purpose. Okay. So I think you should thank me a little more often. Thank you, Sam. Oh, don't mention it. <laughs> I enjoy what I do. No need to thank me. It's not what it sounded like before we were recording. <laughs> you were in a very bad mood about all the things you had to do. <laughs> we, we refer to the pre-record discussions as the desalination process. <laughs> in which she gets all the salt out of her system. <laughs> yep. Before we press record.